Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet since April 2014. And when I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've lost about 100 pounds. I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. And turning back the clock on diabetes. You bet. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? We eat technical details for lunch. But we never read the manuals. <laughs> <laughs> we have done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them, and we share studies that we found in the show notes. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Oh, yeah. We love to cook, and we love to eat. Mm -hmm. In every episode, we both share an amazing keto recipe. Mm -hmm. So let's start podcast number 132, Treating Chronic Pain with Rowena Field. Could you save your due for a little? So Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Yeah, 131, that was uh, Know You Meet with Joan Walker. Yeah. Um, it, it was a great interview. It, oh, yeah. The audio is a little bit funny, but, you know, sometimes, you you know, you can't pick and choose uh, uh, what audio that you're going to get. Yep. Um, so last week I gave a recipe for duck fat caramel sauce. Right. And it used a lot of sugar because that's how you're making caramel. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, I didn't use sugar. I used something called allulose, which is a, a rare sugar that um, doesn't spike your insulin and, uh, of course, during the podcast, I told everybody I use allulose and you could try xylitol. Xylitol would probably work quite well. It comes down to whether the, sh the sugar substitute is going to caramelize like sugar. Right. But people read the article without listening to the show and thought, exactly. why are you putting out this article of caramel sauce <laughs> with sugar in it? Yeah. Right, because this, the interesting story was how to use duck fat to make caramel sauce. Mm. Replacing sugar with allulose is uh, is a trivial step. So yeah, yeah. what I was more interested in was, hey, you can use duck fat to make a sweet caramel <laughs> sauce. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's delicious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't wait to try it. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. Sure. A ketogenic diet is one that puts you in a state of ketosis where you're burning fat for energy rather than burning glucose. Yeah. And how do you do that? You just limit the amount of glucose that you eat so your body has to make it on demand. And you do that by eating 20 grams or less of starch and sugar a day. Uh, we eat moderate protein. It's about the same amount of protein as you had on a, a traditional diet. For us, it's between one to one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass. You're not cutting carbs and increasing protein. You're keeping protein about the same. You're getting your energy from fat, and it may not be fat on the plate. It may be fat on your body from a Krispy Kreme that you ate a decade ago. Yeah, and it usually is. It comes down to <laughs> fat on your body melting away. Yeah. And if you're just starting the ketogenic diet, listen to our Starting Keto show at start.2keto.com. Mm. Yeah. Well, Mr. Keto Fest Down Under, how was your week? <laughs> it was all about Keto Fest Down Under. Mm. Actually, it, was, it wasn't all about Keto Fest. I've 
just finished uh, the first half of uh, second semester of university, so I'm now on my mid-semester break, uh, which is really convenient because I've got a lot of work between now and Keto Fest uh, down under. Mm. Uh, so, and I've got a guest coming in next week. Some dude from Connecticut. <laughs> I wonder That's who right. that could be. <laughs> That's right. I can't yeah. wait. Yeah. yeah, I'll have a house guest, and I'm going to be able to show you all of these uh, foods I've been talking about. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, so Keto Fest is a lot of hard work. We're uh, doing something interesting with the speakers at Keto Fest uh, down under, and that is we're going to have uh, one of the uh, presenters, Dr. Paul Mason, is a physician. He's also a sports physician, but... What he's going to do is he's going to look at my blood tests and do some, basically I'm going to Sydney tomorrow to be tested by him, hmm. and um, we're going to use my results as a case study for how a doctor should treat the blood results of a person on a ketogenic diet. So what it means is that when we record this, you're going to be able to take this recording to your physician and say, could you have a look at this and see if you can do this for me? So that's one thing we're going to do. And unfortunately, it means that I'm going to have to do a test that I really don't want to do. And that is an oral glucose tolerance test with insulin. Ah. And what that means is that I'm going to have to drink 75 mils of uh, glucose. Ah. And, yeah, and it's pretty nasty stuff. People say it tastes like orange sherbet. Um, yeah. But, you know, if, if, if you've ever tried it, it, it tastes like orange sherbet just sneezed. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not nice at all. So um, the interesting thing is that I don't think it's going to show us information that's very useful because mm. I'm in a glucose-sparing state. I've mm. been ketogenic for four and a half years. Yeah. All of my cells that are able to burn fat ignore glucose and let those cells that have no choice, let them have all the glucose. And so what that means is that my result is going to look like a craft pattern five. Yeah. And um, so that, that'll be interesting anyway, just to, to, just to see what that looks like. That'd be great. Um, but yeah, fascinating. So anyway, that's what I'm going to do. And the other thing we're going to have at KetoFest is we're going to have a dietitian talk about what a dietitian would do to treat somebody with a ketogenic diet. Wow. So this will be another video that if you want to go to a dietitian and your dietitian says, well, I'm not really sure how to treat you, well, here's a video they can watch that will show them what the process is, you know, what, what the expectations should be, um, uh, how you uh, treat somebody with a ketogenic diet within the context of a dietary guidelines that say that people should be eating between 40 and 50% of uh, of energy from uh, carbohydrates. So, hmm. yeah, so that's uh, that's uh, that's uh, Keto Fest Down Under. Um, it's, uh, it, there's, we don't have a lot of people. I think we've got 50 people so far signed up, hmm. and I'm hoping to get uh, maybe a 30 or 40 more. Um, but if you are interested in a Keto Fest in Australia, uh, then you really need Keto Fest in Canberra to be success because if it is, then we'll have more Keto Fests. Keto Fest Down Under is on Sunday the 16th of September at the National Press Club of Australia. And you can find details online at ketofestdownunder.com. So that's what I've been up to. What have you been up to, Carl? Well, um, I've been, you know, busy with a lot of stuff here. I'm writing code and um, mm -hmm. doing some work, uh, upgrading some space in my house and cleaning up and, and all that stuff. 
But um, one thing that happened yesterday is I was doing a studio session with some guys that um, haven't really recorded in the studio all that much. And before the session, we were at a little pub downstairs from the studio called Devs. It's where Hannafin's mm-hmm. used to be, just for your reference. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 And um, we're talking and chatting and the ketogenic diet comes up and the, the bartender, hi, Tiffany, says, <laughs> oh, the keto diet's great. I'm, I'm losing a lot on it. So, oh, you're on the diet? She goes, yeah. And she says, have you heard the podcast? And I said, what? What podcast? She goes, two keto dudes. And I said, <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah, I might have heard of that. <laughs> yeah. So I introduced myself and- you know, she's, Hi, Tiffany. <laughs> she had no idea it was happening right in New London. She had no idea about Keto Fest. She had just heard an episode of the podcast and was, you know, kind of not paying attention, I guess. But anyway, wow. so so uh, we talked about it a little bit. And one of the guys that's with me is, you know, uh, obviously metabolically challenged. And, you know, that's right. all I'll say about it. He, he, mm-hmm. he talks about it. His, his blood sugar is high and his mm-hmm. blood pressure he's got to watch out. So, you know, we just started talking food. And uh, mm-hmm. everything that I described, you know, we eat, right? I mean, the fried chicken, mm-hmm. the the oopsie bread, the, uh, yeah, you know, the, the brisket, the ribs, all that stuff. And he's talking about barbecue. We got him going on barbecue, right? Mm. So after the session, you know, one of the guys says, hey, can we go, go somewhere where I can get some food? And everybody's like, yeah, we're packaged. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, let's go down to RD86. They got this um, these amazing smokers and yeah. brisket. And of course, brisket, this guy's eyes like, really? Mm, yeah. They had never <laughs> been there. We walk right. in, they're just blown away because it's the outdoor patio, right? Anybody who came to Keto Fest knows about the patio bar mm. and it smells so good. We can smell it as soon as we <laughs> get outside the studio and start walking down there. And... Uh, Everybody got brisket sandwiches. I didn't get mine with sauce or bun, but they were just like completely drooling over this stuff. And then this guy says, you know what? I don't even need the sauce. Next time I'm not going to order the sauce. (laughs) The the brisket, he says, the fat has so much flavor in it Mm. that I don't need sauce. Yeah. And I was like, well done, sir. Well done. (laughs) Yeah. You just got to unleash people with it. People are scared of fat. Yeah. And, you know, once they realize, hey, wait a minute, fat is just a source of energy. Yeah. And the stuff that I'm storing on my body, the only reason I'm doing that is because I can't use it. Maybe if I stop eating all this carbs, maybe I can start using fat for energy. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the weight starts to melt off, and all of a sudden, people feel like they've got energy to exercise. It's 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 not magic. But I think the fear is the key thing, you know? I mean, even yeah. when we talked, we did a show called Ketophobia. Yeah. And, you know, just how people are so afraid of eating fat because they've been so conditioned. And when you tell them this, they look at you like you're crazy, mm. you know? <laughs> and once they get it, once they get, oh, that I, this is all the stuff I love to eat, then it's just like, you know. Right. You know, I'm, I'm just digging into this brisket and saying, yeah, this, it's just a boring, boring <laughs> keto. I'm so, boring so keto. restricted and everybody's just laughing, you know? Anyway. By the way, somebody owns the domain Boring Keto. Uh, oh, this really? Is a, this is a concept that I popularized uh, did. sort of four years ago, um, and I'm a bit disappointed that I didn't get that domain. Well, we're hoping <laughs> that anyway. Boring Keto owner does the right thing and donates it to us so that we can- Or uh, points it somewhere interesting, points it somewhere you right. know, to some interesting websites. Point so, it to yeah. the forum or something. Yeah, good. 
Well, anyway, there's one other thing I want to mention before we get into the content here. Mm. I'm noticing a lot of bad science with snappy soundbite headlines being forwarded to me by friends this week. Oh, yeah. It's almost as if the anti-low-carb forces have stepped up their game since Zurich. That's exactly what it's from. I mean, Walter Willett got his... Uh, posterior handed to him yeah. uh, very publicly by John Ioannidis and uh, and essentially he, he went back and he went back to his lair and he concocted a bunch of new studies from the same old data tortured in new and weird ways hmm. and um, it, the, the, <laughs> it's, it's incredible because they're so easy to pull apart. I mean, a first-year mm. science student could pull, pull them apart. Yeah. But the problem is that the journalists out there who spread this stuff they don't have enough information no. to be able to pull this stuff apart. Nope. And, uh, you know, good scientists are, are avoiding it and pretending it doesn't exist. And, you know, this is a problem. So. Yeah, it is a problem. I mean, and, and you can't really fault the journalists because all they have to go on is the authority of the authors. And so this latest right. one is from the BBC, or at least that's where mm. I saw it. And it's really making mm. the rounds. But uh, I, I looked to Zoe Harcombe because I knew she would be posting on it. And it took her a couple of days. But she did. So we're going to add a, add a link to this. And I just let's just read her first paragraph. Now, I'm reading this, and we can link to the mm. post in the show notes at 2ketodudes.com. Sure. But just listen to the first paragraph or two. Mm. Zoe says, the BBC headline was, low-carb diets could shorten life, study suggests. In the U.S., CNN went with low- and high-carb diets increase risk of early death, study finds. There were many similar irresponsible headlines worldwide that emanated from a study published in August 2018 in the Lancet Public Health Journal, which we talked about mm -hmm. last week, which is the Walter Willett thing. Mm -hmm. The Sydney Morning Herald warned, people on low-carb diets die younger, says science. All right, hmm. let's look at the science. We need to make a critical point up front. Every headline using the words low-carb was wrong. Yeah. The first sentence of the paper was low carbohydrate diets, dot, dot, dot. This was also wrong. The full paper used the words low carbohydrate 40 times. That was also wrong 40 times. <laughs> yeah. Low carb diets have not been studied by this paper. Full stop. No, they weren't. The average carbohydrate intake of the lowest fifth of people studied was 37%. That's a high carb diet to anyone who eats a low carb diet. And then she says, as we will see below, the researchers managed to find just 315 people out of over 15,000 who consumed less than 30% of their diet in the form of carbohydrates. The average <laughs> carb intake of these 315 people was still over 26%. Wow. Not even these people were anywhere near low-carb eating. Hence, if you do eat a low-carbohydrate diet, don't worry. This paper has nothing to do with you. <laughs> <laughs> and then she just says, you're welcome to continue reading to see what else was wrong with this paper, which we detailed a little bit of that last week. Yeah. I'm all ranted out from last week, but I, I went off on a tear on this. So, yeah. uh, And that's right. exactly the problem. I mean, 37%, if you have you – get, you can get energy from three places, um, therefore 33, 33, 33 – is a totally balanced diet with energy coming from all sources. Right. Anything over 33% is, by definition, 
a high vat diet. So if you're having over 33% of energy from fat, it's a high fat diet. If you're having over 33% of energy from protein, it's a high protein diet. And if you're having over 33% of energy from carbohydrates, it's a high-carbohydrate diet. That's right. And, you know, their low-carb group is eating 37% of it, their energy from carbohydrates. Yeah. So. That's not a low-carb group. It's ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. And that's just scratching the surface. Yeah, totally. Look, I've got something to say to anybody in our audience who has a degree from Harvard. Yeah. Or who works with somebody from Harvard or who's employed somebody who has a Harvard degree. Get in touch with your university and complain about the dilution of the of the reputation of the institution that gave you your education. Absolutely. Because this stuff is embarrassing. Seriously. Harvard had a great reputation and they're trashing it. Yeah, they are. Get to it, people. Get to it. Let's write them. (laughs) Use real references for real science. Tell them where their studies are flawed and warn them that their reputation is in jeopardy. Great idea. If you have a Harvard degree, the quality of your degree, its rep, its value is dependent on the reputation of, of the institution. So it's it's in your personal interest to make sure that this gets corrected. Great. So get to it, people. Well, buddy, let's give away some swag. Yeah, every show we pick a lucky winner at random from the members of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. Yes, and today we're giving away a treasure trove of stuff from vendors we like all of which you can find at fanclub.2keto.com. We also need to mention a caveat. Most of our vendors can only ship inside the United States. That's right. However, if we happen to pick someone outside the U.S., we will find something to send you, but it probably Mm -hmm. won't be the whole treasure trove, that is, until we can find an affordable means of distribution. And if anybody has any ideas of how we could do that, get in touch with us. Yeah. So who's our winner this week, huh? Today's winner is Sarah Scarazai. Congratulations, Sarah. Yeah. Let's tell everybody what Sarah has won. All right. Well, the first thing we're giving away is a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug that says, Keep Calm and Keto On. Also, a signed copy of Lies My Doctor Told Me by Dr. Ken Berry, online at lies.2keto.com. And a bottle of Stevia Sweet Barbecue Sauce, developed by a barbecue restaurant owner who plans to change the restaurant industry forever. Only two carbs per serving. Online at steviasweetbbq.com. And a cheese-making kit from Wine and Way. Pam Zorn gave everybody at Keto Fest a kit so that they could make their own fresh mozzarella. Online at wineandway.com. That's W-I-N-E-A-N-D-W-H-E-Y.com. And a six-ounce cup of beef bone broth concentrate from Birthright Nutrition. Just add water, heat, stir, sip, and enjoy. Jam-packed with good stuff. More at birthrightnutrition.com. We're also giving away a bottle of Remag Magnesium Solution developed by Dr. Carolyn Dean, along with a copy of her protocol and the Keto and Magnesium Manifesto. That's online at magmiracle.com. We're also giving away a big bottle of Fasting Drops from Keto Chow. It's a well-formulated blend of electrolytes. You just drop a little in your water and fasting will be a breeze. Online at fastingdrops.2keto.com. And two bottles of Sated, one chocolate, one vanilla, online at sated.2keto.com. And from Keto & Co., a sampler six-pack, a bag of brownies, four bags of different flavored cauliflower rices, and a bag of flatbread, Mm. online at ketoand.co. And if you don't want to wait to win some swag, you can buy all sorts of it online at gear.2keto.com. Absolutely. Well, you know what time it is now? I think it's time for some mail! (laughs) All right. What you got, Carl? Well, uh, this is a very cool um, post from Trudy B in mm-hmm. the Ketogenic Forums. 
and it's titled Fasting High, Feelings and Observations. This is really cool. Mm. She says, so I had a generally weird week last week and needed a reset. I'm starting my 11th week keto and have been wanting to try an extended fast. I jumped in Monday evening and I'm currently 61 hours in. I'm planning to stop this evening or tomorrow at lunchtime. This whole keto thing has really opened my eyes to a lot of things, but fasting is eye-opening in a new way. Nothing earth-shattering here, but I thought I'd make a list of observations and realizations and that maybe others could relate or would like to do the same. Or maybe mm. I'm just in a state of fasting-induced euphoria. <laughs> no feeling. <laughs> yeah. Number one, the 18th hour and close to it is really the most challenging. I should have planned better so that I wasn't making dinner for my kids then, but I did it. Um, I've just got to interject here that we hear this from everybody, and we heard it from Jason and Megan. Mm -hmm. We yeah. all experience it at hour 18. That's when the hunger pangs start. And so one suggestion is to have a breakfast around 9 o'clock in the morning, you know, by 9, and make mm -hmm. that your last meal because that way you'll be asleep during the 18th hour. That's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. If you have a problem, yep. Yep. All right. Number That's two, it. electrolyte mm -hmm. balance and supplementing is something I have to be much better about. I was able to use this time to nail down my particular symptoms and find a solution that works for me. Number mm. three, exercise fasted. Wow. Oh, yeah, totally. I love fasted exercise. Yeah. I got home from a walk and wasn't winded and didn't raid the pantry afterward. Not drenched in sweat either. Granted, I've lost 25 pounds since mid-June. Mm. But it just felt different fasted in a Disney movie, rainbows and puppies kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, I'd kind of lost that rush or edge I'd felt when I first became fat adapted. I don't know if that's because the newness had worn off or what, but getting past the 24 hour mark brought it rushing back. I feel like a machine. I have even more mental mm. clarity than before, and I'm just plain old happy. That bear holding a big machine gun riding on a shark on a massive wave image? Yeah, totally. that's what I'm feeling like again, <laughs> but even more so than before. Yeah. Number five, I eat a lot when I'm bored or procrastinating or mm -hmm. trying to numb out and avoid. Keto itself was like walking into a lit room and finding a box of issues in the corner, but fasting <laughs> is like, it's, uh, yeah, confront yourself, right? But yeah. fasting is like sitting at a detective's interrogation desk with a spotlight in your eyes being drilled about said box. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, I thought I was over it. Wrong. Mm. I could acknowledge <laughs> it and work through it without problems. Major win. That, that is an observation I've never really heard anybody specifically call out about, right. about fasting. Is the, mm. you know, mental clarity is interesting, but just the... The courage to look under the rocks of your deepest, you know, feelings. Yeah. Is... I know one thing about uh, fasting. A lot of people say that after they've done like a multi-day fast and, and they've done a really good job, they feel a massive sense of empowerment. Yes. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that during that first fast, they are struggling with some internal demons. And once they best them, um, that's, an, that's a very powerful uh, statement that you can make to yourself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, number six, I have better cemented a food as energy mindset. This fast has definitely helped me separate different aspects of my relationship with food, and I realize that I can be better about maximizing nutrient density and such, and that I actually want to. 
Mm. You know, and that's all tied up in you know um, our our metabolic derangement. So right, uh, I th- I think this is great that when you get to this place where you're you still love food, but you're not needing it for psychological reasons. That's it's a wonderful state. Yeah, it doesn't drive you. I mean, that's one thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there are a few more points, and uh, but I, I I'll let you read the rest. We're gonna post a link mm-hmm. to this. It's a great topic and and I really imp- enjoyed reading it and, and all the comments too. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's what I got. What do you got? Mm-hmm. So I've got a, a, a message. It was actually posted on a friend's wall on Facebook. Now this guy uh, I've known for maybe 10 years. Uh, we used to do uh, play a lot of online games together um, and th- there's a large community of people who are online gamers and a couple of them uh, came over to uh, to keto. Uh, Shane Barnbrook, for example, yeah. was one. He was on episode number forty two. Uh, yep. I actually met up with him and his wife um, just this week at the at the press club, and uh, they made the trip up to Canberra. This post from this other guy, Jason Allen. Uh, it was a random thing. I didn't even know he was keto, huh. and he he posted posted a message saying, "At the start of the year, Katrina, that's his wife, and I decided to try this keto living to lose weight. I figured I'd give it a go to help." along uh, plus if i lost more i'd soon be rubbing it in ha yeah, ha right. winner <laughs> he <laughs> says i started 101.5 kilos on january the first with the aim to get to 81 i'm still two kilograms overweight according to all of the bmi guff but i'm a dad so i've got a dad bod and everyone <laughs> loves dad bod so yeah uh, without doing any more exercise than what i already did like moving stock at work or walking the pups daily. My family weigh in each Sunday. Uh, the last three weeks I've been sitting at 81.9, 81.8, 81.9. last mother trucking 900 bitch-ass grams. <laughs> he goes on to say, today's weigh-in, 80.5 kilograms. Ha-ha, wow. suck it. <laughs> I had no idea uh, he and his wife have gone keto, uh, but it, it wasn't um, – any information about the diet or about the health benefits? It was yeah. simply the food that, food that I was posting on my Facebook wall. Yeah, and he was just like, "Oh my god, this food is awesome! This guy, look what this guy's getting to eat, and <laughs> yeah. and he's losing weight. That's just not fair. Why do I have to eat rubbish? This special K for breakfast every morning when he gets to eat bacon and eggs. Yeah. And of course, you know me on my Facebook wall, I tend to flaunt it. Yes, you do. <laughs> well, now he's doing it. Now he's doing bacon weaves on his Facebook wall. So- Great. And you know he's showing off. You know he's got a, a one entire door of his refrigerator is full of cheese. So you, you know, know th- I just real. You know, this is my mo when I'm trying to help a friend who's on the fence mm-hmm. about keto. I, I invite yeah. him for dinner. You know, that's what I did with Les. I had yeah. him come over for yeah. lunch, and we made bacon cheeseburgers with the yeah. you know the cheese sauce and bacon and oopsie mm, bread and stuff. And he's like, yeah. "Well, uh, I got no problem here." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, that's my mail. You never know when uh, we cast our, you know, our, our message out onto the waters and you never know when it's going to come back, uh, like a message in a bottle. And mm. I, I suggest to people, post up pictures of your keto food because, it, you know, keto food is delicious and, and maybe that might be the trigger that just changes one person's life. So, yeah, um, you know, I, I highly recommend flaunting your keto food. Yeah. And the old idea about printing up some business cards is a great idea. You know, put your story, put your before and after picture on it, give them some resources, and just hand it out when people ask you about it. Yep. 
And that brings us squarely to the content section of the show. I always like to say content, but it's really the interview section. And yeah. this is your interview from Threadbow, right? Yeah. So this was at Low Carb Down Under Threadbow. Uh, we had a, a, a small intimate event where uh, we had uh, basically a room full of people all uh, talking about low-carb diets, and we had a couple of uh, formal presentations, and we also had some informal stuff. And uh, we did that a, 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 about a month ago. And uh, I did three interviews uh, with three PhD candidates all working with Dr. Kieran Rooney at mm. Sydney University. Mm. And uh, a, a lot of people don't know this, but the Keto Fest Down Under, all of our proceeds from Keto Fest are going to um, to Sydney University. So we're actually donating all of the proceeds from Keto Fest in Canberra uh, to Sydney University to Dr. Kieran Rooney and all of his cadre of uh, PhD candidates, wow. and uh, we've already made enough to donate an eight thousand uh, dollar respiratory exchange ratio device, which is going to enable them to measure um, how much fat and how much glucose people are burning, what their metabolic rates are, and how efficient their mitochondria are. Which is going to be very useful for oh. uh, the kinds of studies that they're doing. So, and, and awesome. this is something that previously they would have to have an entire room. Uh, to, to, to do this kind of thing. Or they'd use a metabolic cart, which is, you know, uh, $30,000 or $40,000 worth. Yeah. And we spoke before with John Wright from MHS in Perth, and he is building these $8,000 devices about the size of a shoebox. Mm -hmm. And we're actually going to demo one at KetoFest down under. So um, so anyway, this, this, is, this, this interview was with one of these PhD candidates. This is Rowena Field. She's a physiotherapist. She's also uh, a professional photographer. She's a mother, and she uh, is a PhD candidate working with Dr. Kieran Rooney. And uh, I will let her tell you the rest of her story. Awesome. Okay, I'm in uh, low-carb Threadbow, Threadbow in the Australian Alps, and it's a powder day. The powder is falling outside, so if your ears are very good listeners, you will hear my heart breaking because I'm indoor doing <laughs> a podcast instead of outside skiing. Uh, I'm here with Rowena Field, uh, and we'd, we've just had a low-carb conference, and she did a, a wonderful presentation. She's a physiotherapist, so yes. and she's uh, – say hello, Rowena. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so she does uh, – she works with pain, finding ways to moderate um, – pain. She gave a fascinating presentation yesterday, and it wasn't really a low-carb talk at the beginning. It was a talk about chronic versus acute pain, mm. but it worked away around to the point where it was only a low-carb conversation. So I think we should start with pain and the difference between chronic and acute pain. Yeah, sure. Mm, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, acute pain and chronic pain are very different beasts mm -hmm. and sometimes we get a little bit um, lost when we're uh, trying to treat people with pain because we just start to look at everything as if it's an acute pain problem rather than it being a chronic pain problem. And they're two very different things and they're driven by different things within the body as well. Right. So if we sort of um, backtrack a little bit and think about how um, a chronic pain problem might develop, so the – the body's a, a remarkable, complex, adaptive system, and our brain is tasked essentially with protecting us. Mm -hmm. And we all know about homeostasis. I'm sure your listeners have heard heard that word many I've times in your times. <laughs> in your podcast. And often, when we're thinking about homeostasis, we're thinking more um, about metabolic things like you know blood glucose regulation or body temperature or those sort of things that we know are homeostatically controlled. But what people might not realise is that neuronal excitability is also 
okay. hemostatically controlled. Yeah. And it sort of breaks down into three sort of main chunks. So we're looking at either the excitability within the neuronal cell itself, which is like all the other cells that we're talking mm-hmm. about with yeah. homeostatic regulation. But we also have um, regulation of how easily nerves can talk to each other sure. and how easily a whole network can mm-hmm. fire. And so homeostasis within the nervous system is basically stability around neural activity, which is around a set point that's still enough of a dynamic range to allow mm-hmm. all those things to have that have to, to happen, happen yeah, in, yeah. In, the, in the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And if we think about how nerves talk to each other, um, in a situation where nerves get used frequently, they mm-hmm. build up and they become stronger and right. they get easier and easier and easier for those nerves to talk to each other. And that's yeah. what we call um, long-term potentiation. So if, so if I'm, if I touch something that's hot or I touch something that's sharp, my nociceptors in the tip of my finger, they're the pain receptors. They're going to fire off. And they're going to send a message through. Yep, danger, through, danger message back to the brain. Danger message back to the brain. <laughs> not pain message, danger message, danger message. Not, yep. so not pain, but a danger. No, so danger, yep. don't do that again. Yep. Message really. It's a, it's, and, it's a message to protect. So that then requires your brain to do that juggling of information right. to decide what's the appropriate strategies sure. now to to protect. Yeah. And so if we're thinking about how those nerves talk to each other, mm. the more you use something, it's a bit like a habit, the more you yeah. do something, so the, more the stronger you t- it gets. Yeah, the more and you the touch opposite, the sharp prickly The less thing. you don't do yeah. it, the weaker it gets. But the problem with the nervous system is yeah. that if we allowed that to go unchecked, we'd end up with things that just become firing all the time right. indiscriminately or things that won't fire at all yeah. when they need to. And so there's a negative feedback loop of homeostasis that yeah. has to keep that that level of excitability between the two nerves in a dynamic yeah. range to yeah. allow that nerve yeah. f- to function correctly. And the, the interesting thing for people who are insulin resistant is it's very similar to the to the presence of insulin. We are building up a resistance to the the signal of insulin mm. because our homeostatic range is mm. being subverted. And that's why insulin is pulsatile because it allows it to be then a homeostatic right. mechanism and yeah. things go wrong yeah. when they are chronically Turned on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when we're thinking about chronic pain, what can happen is we can get into a situation where something goes a little bit wrong with that homeostatic control of that excitability mm. and we start to see more long-term potentiation happening between us. So they talk more easily to each other. Right. And the whole networks that have to go on for a pain experience, they turn on right. more easily as well. And if we think about it as an analogy, it's a little bit like pain. Pain is a bit like a car alarm. So mm-hmm. we have to have pain. It's absolutely absolutely necessary thing in our mm-hmm. body. If we didn't have pain, we'd die because, we'd, you know, our appendix would burst or something like right. that. We wouldn't know about it and mm-hmm. we'd die. So it's a necessary thing that is supposed to provide danger information and like a, a warning sing- signal to us to stop doing whatever the dumb thing mm-hmm. is, you know, take your hand off the stove yeah, yeah. <laughs> or whatever, it, whatever it might be. Yeah. So we want that car alarm to go mm-hmm. off, but we want the car alarm to go off at the right time and in the right situation. Yeah. And with chronic pain, what happens is because something is causing this to be chronically turned on, mm. our car alarm gets upregulated mm. essentially. Our car alarm gets more and more and more sensitive and now instead of it only just turning on when the burglar's breaking into your car, right. now it's turning on when Every bird night. flies overhead or <laughs> yeah. anything like yeah. that. And so it's not that a person with chronic pain has pain that they're making up or isn't real. Mm. Their pain is absolutely real. Yeah. But the problem is that that warning mechanism is mm. now 
dysfunctional. It's yes. now going off yeah. all the time yes. when it shouldn't be. And we talk a lot about dysfunction and stuff happening in, in when we're talking about metabolic stuff with our low carb mm. things with, you know, diabetes and all those sorts of things. But dysfunction happens in the nervous system mm. as well. And dysfunction in the nervous system ends up looking like a chronic pain right. problem. Yeah. Um, and so the difference then between acute and chronic pain is that if in an acute pain situation, there's new tissue damage. So I've gone gotcha. outside ha- here in the lovely snow mm-hmm. and I've slipped over on the ice out there and yeah. I've broken my, you know, leg. Right. Now in that situation, I've got new acute tissue damage and I have pain and a whole raft of other protective mechanisms or a protective suite that our brain has at its disposal to mm. call on to fix that problem and protect right. me. So, pain is one of them, but then you're going to have musculoskeletal stuff. There might mm-hmm. be some muscle spasm to stop mm-hmm. you moving this leg that you've yeah. just hurt. You're going to have an autonomic n- nervous system response. So, mm-hmm. you're going to have a sympathetic spike to, you know, get yeah. you out of out of harm's way. There'll be endocrine and hormonal changes, yeah. but also your immune system plays a key role. Yeah, there'll be inflammation. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. So, there's an acute inflammatory response, mm-hmm. but the important thing about all of those responses in this situation is that they are only short-term phasic responses. They're all designed to turn on, mm-hmm. do their gig, and then turn back off again. Now, they might be on for different amounts of times and in, you know, mm-hmm. diff- different um, timeframes, but they're all designed to turn back off again. And so, the way our immune system works with this acute inflammation is that once an inflammatory reaction is turned on, it mm-hmm. also creates other resolvent chemicals and things which are required to turn the inflammation back off again right. at the other side. And so, it, it's a it's a system that's designed to turn on, do a thing, turn back off again. Mm. Chronic pain, it doesn't get turned off. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And so, what happens then in chronic pain is that there's no new tissue damage, but something else is now driving this right. chronic threat versus so you safety. You don't need to be told you're in pain because the, the, the tissue's not being further damaged. No, no, that's yeah. right. There, there, there may well have been damage in the past and it might not look pretty mm. anymore. There yeah. might be, you know, you might have a scan. Might have grown in the wrong shape. Yeah, but yeah, 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 all sorts mm-hmm. of things. But just because something doesn't look pretty doesn't mean it actually has to be the mm. source of or the entire source of a of pain problem. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. So mm. the, the further down the track you get with a chronic pain problem, the more it becomes about other things other than just the original structure that was injured. So, yeah, there might be some muscle weakness and tightness and different mm-hmm. bits and pieces that mm-hmm. probably need addressing. Mm. But our problem now becomes one of this car alarm yeah. that's now been turned on and made bigger and better and bigger and better. And so, it's turning on all the time regardless of what's going on, mm. you know, with the person. And so, you know, we will have people come in and say, oh, but my back pain is terrible. You don't know. It's just this terrible pain. And it's not that their pain's not real. Their pain is absolutely real. Mm. But it's the car alarm that's going off when it shouldn't be going going off that's that's right. providing that that pain perception for them rather than it being the original thing that they might have heard a year or two mm. or 10 years yeah. 10 years ago and so part of that that dysfunction then with this car alarm is that we get um, the nerves talking too mm. easily to yep. each other we get networks firing off yeah. too easily and, and you we grow get more nerves you grow, and we gr- get neuroplasticity. neuroplasticity that's the third yeah. part of that so we yeah. get this maladaptive neuroplastic change and right. so what nociceptors mm-hmm. can crazily do mm-hmm. we we have the ability to epigenetically turn on the proteins that build more branches on the Gee. on the nociceptor and, yeah. and build more 
gates and, and channels and things in the yeah. end. So it's not that um, there's anything changed structurally yeah. down there in the periphery, but we've built a nervous system now that by default is yeah. going to send more danger information back to the brain. And when the brain has to do its threat versus safety. It's hypervigilant. Yeah, now. it's hypervigilant. It's mm. now looking at everything that's, you know, going wrong. People yeah. are worried, you know, I'm getting pain. Does that mean I'm doing more damage? All of those sorts of thoughts mm. come into it. And I guess my my area of interest in all of this is that it's not just that musculoskeletal system and the nervous system mm-hmm. that's gone wrong. That's all those other systems we talked about as well. So we've got endocrine and hormonal stuff in mm-hmm. there. We've particularly got an inflammatory problem. Mm. So we now have this, for want of a better description, a raised level of inflammatory soup. Yes, yes. And so not only have we then said we've we've now created our nociceptors that are more hypervigilant and feeding back more danger information, we're now bathing them in a little bit more mm. inflammation just yeah. to send a bit more information back as well. And so it becomes this, um, you know, forward perpetuating problem yeah. that just builds into the chronic pain problem and builds into this cycle. Sure. And so that's why it can be so difficult to help people with chronic pain yeah. because… So how do you break them out of that? I mean… They've obviously gone mm. through the cycle, and it really—I mean—the the problem is the cycle has stopped at the upswing. Yeah, yeah, and, and we need to get it to come back down yeah, to the downswing. Yeah. How do you do that? And that's a very individual mm-hmm. treatment thing. So I, I run a, a private um, chronic pain management program with a psychologist, and that's mm-hmm. what we do: is we look at it, everybody in an individual way and try and stand back and have a look at big, the bigger picture stuff and say, okay, yeah, well, it might have been about you know whatever this tissue was that got hurt a year mm. or two ago. Yeah. But now let's stand back and see what else mm. is going on. What's yeah. going on with your inflammatory markers? What's going on with your hormone regulation? What's going on with your sleep? What's mm. going on with your thinking? Mm. And all of those things start to play a role because it's this threat versus safety evaluation that your brain is having to constantly monitor. And while ever mm. it's erring on the side of threat being probable, yeah. it will evoke those protection mechanisms mm. that we've talked about. And so the only way really then to start to reverse this maladaptive neuroplasticity and bioplasticity that right. we've had is to change that threat versus safety gotcha. evaluation. And everybody's story is different. Everybody that walks in with chronic pain mm-hmm. has a different set of drivers that are are now the thing that is, you know, create has perpetuated their their pain problem. Yeah. And so it's it's sort of like a big jigsaw puzzle we like to tell yep. people. It's like this jigsaw and we've chucked it out on the table. Mm-hmm. Now we're trying to find the edge in the corner pieces yeah. and put it all back together again. Yeah. And the beauty of looking at it like that is it rather than it being a very hopeless case where where we're saying, oh, you know, this is the thing that you've injured. <laughs> Instead of it just being all about the the tissue that was injured and, you know, they've now been down that route of they've seen all the specialists and they've had whatever surgeries available yeah. and all the treatments and nothing's helped yes. because we know that there's all these other things driving the problem. Right. Nothing's helped and and the old way of managing chronic pain would be to say, oh, geez, we're really sorry. We've looked at everything. This is you. We're just going to have to teach you to cope with the pain now. Mm, yes. But that's not good enough. In the, mm. in the face of new neuroscience research, the evidence would suggest if we change what we're throwing at the system, it will bioplastic its way in a different direction. Nice. So we have to change that threat versus safety evaluation. Yeah. And if we do that the brain will start to change those protection mechanisms. So, if you that can reduce the inflammation, the, yeah. the metaflammation that... Yeah, so a, that's, that's what, a term you yeah, use. Yeah, yeah, so that's one of yeah. the things. So, metaflammation mm. is just a shortened term for metabolic inflammation. So, okay. it's that that just slight level of increase in inflammation that's mm. not enough to do our whole inflammatory cycle that we talked about before and create the things that turn itself back off mm-hmm. again. It's just that little bubbling along problem mm. that's... Um, 
that's then now becoming one of the drivers in this chronic pain mm. story. And so if we're wanting to try and um, think about how we might address a chronic pain problem, mm-hmm. then instead of being stuck in the situation of saying, oh, sorry, we've got nothing else left for you, suck it up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now we're saying, oh, hang on a minute, there's all these other things that we could do to mm-hmm. look at to reduce inflammation. Mm. And I guess from the if we look at what's sort of going on over in the neuroscience silo, yeah. <laughs> over to the side over here, there's a lot of pharmacological research looking at, okay, what drugs can we find that are going to block this in particular the inflammatory NLRP3 thing? Yeah, yeah, inflammasome or something right. that, ups, you know, that one of those upstream inflammatory modulators for all the other things that are going to flow on or mm. something that's going to um, change glutamate levels in the brain or glutamate right. clearance yep. or HDAC inhibitors or all those sorts of things. Yep. We're trying to find yeah. drugs and things that are going to do something yeah. about those and, pathways. And I'm sitting there in these neuroscience, like, hang on a minute, yeah. has anybody heard of the ketogenic diet? <laughs> anybody who's been listening to our podcast has heard us mention yeah, all inhibitors, those words. and inflammasome, yeah, that's uh, GABA, right. GABA and, uh, yeah. and glutamate uh, ratios in the brain. And the cool thing yeah. about that is that we can now say, well, hang on a minute, we've got some options for you. Mm. You know, we can do something like dietary change mm-hmm. that you have some control over because people come in feeling very hopeless because they've got no control over Mm -hmm. this chronic pain problem that they've got. Everything they do makes their pain worse and they're very hopeless in their outlook. Mm. Whereas we say, hang on, no, you can do something about this. Let's look at diet. or And diet's not just the only thing. Mm. Let's look at sleep. Let's look at – there's lots of different of those, you know, all those lifestyle things that we talk Mm. about that all have evidence based to show that they change inflammatory markers or do these sorts of things. And so, they're definitely a – a tool in our toolbox of dealing with people with chronic pain. So this is definitely a, a potential intervention for for chronic pain. Yeah. Does it have to be acute? I mean, what I mean by that is, do, do they do they have to come from some other diet first and go into a ketogenic diet to drag all of the, the inflammation down to and be able to? They are make the, the questions difference? we do not know, and that's right. that's obviously where my PhD research course, is sort of yeah. heading towards. Because yeah. that, that's a good question. Like, do, is it enough just to pull somebody from our standard, you know, terrible diet <laughs> that the mm. you know, the average Australian eats, is it enough just to push them towards a, you know, a just eat mm. real food type diet? Yeah. Is that going to be enough to, um, you know, downgrade that inflammation enough to get pain benefits mm-hmm. from it? Or do we actually have to take that deeper yeah. dive into something a bit more radical mm. and some sort of short-term intervention strategy? So, mm. I, I'm not saying that everybody needs to be full keto forever to right. solve their chronic pain problems, mm. but there's good evidence that maybe a short-term intervention like that yeah. could do this bit of a reset on the nervous yeah. system. Because it's not just about the inflammation. That's only just one part of what a ketogenic mm-hmm. diet will do. The mm. other huge part of it is the fact that those ketones are signaling molecules. Right. They're not just energy molecules. They're not they're just Energy. They're, they're almost like they're, hormones. Yeah. yeah. And mm. they do all sorts of things apart mm. from just, you know, blocking inflammation um, mm-hmm. pathways, but they do other particularly neuromodulatory right. yeah. um, things within that, that talk between the nerves mm-hmm. that we were saying before. We know that they have the capacity to help reset that homeostatic mechanism. Within, yes. in the, and that's really critical because that's one of the things that's a problem mm-hmm. <laughs> with the chronic pain story yeah. is, you know, and, and we've sort of known this historically. If we, if, if we take an extreme example, mm. the keto diet has been used for epilepsy, for of example, for, yeah. for generations. Mm. And so we know that in an extreme case, Having those ketones present are powerful signalers to down down regulate that you know yeah. excitatory th- mm. problem that's going on in the brain, but this has got to be a spectrum 
yeah. spectrum thing. So even though we're not talking about something as big as a, an epileptic seizure and that mm. sort of huge, uh, you know, um, excursion outside homeostatic control. Mm. But if we backtrack that a little bit and say, okay, well, hang on, if we're just talking about, you know, um, an excitation level that's sitting on the edges of homeostasis all the time and the brain's constantly having to pull it back into line, mm-hmm. pull it back into line, it's being a chronic problem. Well, hang on a minute, maybe we can do something with yeah. something like a ketogenic diet that's actually going to help to bring that back into line Absolutely. a little bit. Yeah. And so there's lots of good evidence to suggest. And, and one of the other parts to that is that because um, a ketogenic diet is um, a more efficient fuel source and produces more ATP, mm. um ATP obviously dephosphorylates back down to adenosine, mm-hmm. and adenosine is also a neuromodulator right. in the nervous yeah. system. Okay. So there's all these cool little mm-hmm. pathways of yeah. different bits and pieces that, whilst they're theoretical, and we don't know, you know, yeah. if we give this person with chronic pain a ketogenic diet, are all these mechanisms going to come into play? There is a good biological plausibility. Yes, there's a mechanism. There's a mechanism mm-hmm. there, and what we then need to do is say, okay, well, let's see what this actually does because. Anecdotally, we hear it across the forums mm. all the time. How many times have we seen where people have come into a low-carb or a keto diet specifically because they want to lose weight or yeah. manage their diabetes? That's their primary goal. Yeah. Oh, but, but by the way, this shoulder pain that I have for yeah. a year and a half, it seems to have got better as right. well. Yeah. And we are not capturing that data no. anywhere. If you well, go searching- It happened, it happened to me personally. <laughs> I, I, I was ketogenic for three years and went to a friend's wedding and ate half of a small pavlova. It was probably about two tablespoons. <laughs> of sugar really and uh and i i i hadn't noticed in the three years preceding when i was ketogenic that my knee pain that was chronic i had a torn meniscus that that needs to be arthroscopically fixed mm, and, mm. um i had a and i hadn't noticed that it had slowly gone away but mm. boy when it came back, back only one fell <laughs> yeah. I yeah. It. so and that was just a result of inflammation mm. i was unable to sleep for 48 hours mm. so, and then and then going back keto it 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 disappeared again the, mm. the, and I don't think it was necessary just the inflammation disappearing you're probably right it was probably all of the, uh, the, the all signaling things, mechanisms yeah. that, that, that changed yeah, but uh, yeah. it, it certainly I noticed that and I think for me it's like this frog boiling in water thing you know you don't notice a slight change that happens mm-hmm. over time but when you see the the, the major change it's quite possible that there are people who went ke- have been ketogenic um, who have not noticed that their chronic pain has gone away. Yeah, and that's right. And you're feeling better in yourself mm-hmm. anyway because you're mm-hmm. on this diet and you've mm-hmm. lost a bit of weight and everything's going yep. swimmingly and you've just sort of forgotten that you had this <laughs> elbow pain that never went away. Right. And um, that, that's the sort of stuff that we, we want to we try and capture that information mm-hmm. and find out a little bit more because we want to be able to say, yeah, this, this is a potential tool that you can use for somebody with, with chronic pain. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, if you, if you look – at the um the research literature, there's nothing much out there at all about right. chronic pain and what diet is best for a chronic pain mm. sufferer. And that's where um my PhD research. So I'm doing my PhD with Kieran Rooney. Yes, of course. <laughs> all, all we spoke girls. to a lot of uh, Kieran Rooney's uh, uh, PhD <laughs> candidates. Yeah, yes. yeah. So he's he's um. Although he's not a pain researcher, he's obviously <laughs> really interested in, in, in these mechanisms and how we might be able to um, to research this. And so, um, as I said, there's there's no research out there looking at nothing about ketogenic diets really mm. and chronic pain. There's a little bit of specific stuff about particular types of pain and particular 
single nutrient. So, you know, somebody with, uh, you know, rheumatoid arthritis and what happens if we give them fish oil. So, so those sort of, you know, specific things. Mm. But there's nothing about, okay, well, if you've got chronic pain, what dietary intervention could you try mm. that has, you know, good reasoning behind it that might actually help to mm-hmm. decrease your inflammation and do all those things that are going to help to change that threat versus safety evaluation that we've got going on in the brain and start to track things towards less protection being required and gradually work our way out of such a painful state. Sure. So, yeah, so that's where my research hopefully will go. That is fascinating. <laughs> you, I mean, nobody's done this. So, you no, know, this is this is Which gonna... staggers me, but, it, you know, it's like, as I said before, we've got these silos. I've sort of got my, you know, low-carb silo over here in my neuroscience, and I'm, yeah. I can, you people should talk to each other, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fascinating, but, but most uh, people who, or most healthcare providers certainly, who've, uh, who've become low-carb practitioners in their uh, professional career had an epiphany on in their personal life. Mm-hmm. What was yours? What for low-carb like or for pain? Yeah. Because I've had epiphany in oh, you've had epiphany for both. <laughs> so, so well, tell me about your epiphany about pain. I mean, yeah. that, that's interesting. Yeah, now, so my pain story was that I developed chronic back pain back when I was uh, pregnant with my second child, so quite a, quite a number of years ago now. And it was one of those things where I just initially assumed it was, you know, pregnancy hormones, I'll get better after, you know, I've had this baby, and just it didn't get better, and it mm. just went on and on, and I thought, this is crazy. And I went and saw all of the physio gurus, like, mm. you know, all the cool kids on the block. I went and saw them to try and, you know, fix my back pain. Nobody could do anything about it. It just got worse. Mm. And I started to think, okay, there's something different about me. Why is my back pain not responding to all of these things that I'm preaching to all of my, I mean, <laughs> all my yeah, patients? Yeah, come exactly. to, all the things that I would do to my patients, I do it to me and it doesn't get better. And I had a bit of a crisis, really. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> a professional fear, crisis. A almost, professional yeah. crisis thinking, hell on a minute, all these things that I've been doing for years and mm. doing to, you know, giving us treatment strategies mm. doesn't work for me. So how can I, how can I be, yeah. you know, preaching this and it wasn't until um, I started to uh, well I actually ended up in a lovely neurosurgeon's office who told me that disc replacement was the only way that I was going to solve my chronic pain and fortunately I was sufficiently scared about having that done Mm. (laughs) that I put it to the back burner and thought okay now I need to go back and actually have a look at the research and see well well, there's got to be something out there that's going to help me in my pain story which is when I then came across all the research that's coming out of Uni of South Australia at the moment under Laura Mosey, who just perchance I happened to go through uni with as well. He was a student with him, right? Yeah, yeah, he he, was in my year at uni. He wrote a book, actually, the people I'm staying with here in Threadbow, uh, uh, one of them is a ski patroller and he deals with pain a lot. He Mm. deals with people with um, uh, uh, broken legs. (laughs) Horribly broken legs. uh, Horribly broken (laughs) legs and having to get them out of ski boots. So, you know, he has a, I mean, that's that's probably one of the worst things that's ever going to happen to you. If you break your leg in a ski boot they have to remove it and that's not going to be fun no <laughs> so he and he he had this book Lauren Mosley's yeah yeah um explain pain explain pain and it's yep. it's a spectacular book about really explaining what it, why pain exists and mm, and mm. Uh, and uh, how to deal with it so tell me about yeah so about and, and his book's a lot about that stuff that I've already mm. sort of talked about already yeah. in the podcast and this idea of you know threat versus safety and whatever the brain thinks that we're under threat is going to mm. evoke all those protection mechanisms right. and that's how we end up in this chronic pain state and so Mm. we have to go back and think about this you know well what is driving the threat 
threat perception. And that was a different way of looking at pain that I hadn't sort of really considered. And, um, and I thought, okay, well, this is something that I'm going to have to <laughs> mm-hmm. have to try for myself. Um, and it wasn't, it's certainly not an easy thing. It took some time. I mean, mm. you know, neuroplasticity and bioplasticity don't just happen overnight. You know, if you took several years to get into a chronic pain problem, and I had my back pain for about eight years by the yeah. time I'd got to here, it's going to take some time to, to apply all these changes and start to see the, the adaptations that, that occur. Mm. Um, but yeah, I got rid of my pain by doing, uh, that's another whole podcast talking about yeah. all the different <laughs> techniques. We won't go yeah. into that, yeah. but just suffice it to yeah. say, there's all sorts of, um, like greater motor imagery and mirror therapy and different brain trickery sort of things that yeah. we can do to try and help that car alarm not yeah. go off all the time yeah. and try and teach our, our brain to be able to function without setting it off all the time listeners if you if you're dealing with chronic pain and you really want to Rowena to come back let me know and we will invite her back to talk about oh you could just go and watch Lorimer's TED talk that he's got a lovely TED talk on um TED talk Adelaide I think it is it's a few years old again Mm -hmm. now but um it's a nice little explanation of some of this this stuff as well um and so yeah, over the space of uh, you know six or twelve months, I suppose it mm-hmm. took me to get back to the point where I'd gone from having pain that made me sell a private practice because I could no longer physically do that. Yeah. Um, not engaging in family life, going from being a gym junkie to not doing any exercise mm. at all and being absolutely miserable and not involved in family life, mm. to back and I ran the half marathon in a. I think it was in the top 10% time for that. Women of my age. Yeah, well done. <laughs> we won't say what that age is, but yeah. it was good for my age. Yeah. Um, and so it's very possible. And that was the, I guess, the epiphany I had in the pain side of things to say, okay, yeah. now we've got to bring this new evidence, which is not what I was taught at uni. No, you just talked diff- about structural pain. Yeah, really. yeah. yeah. So it, it was different. And I'm thinking mm. what I was taught at uni at best was simplistic and at worst was wrong. <laughs> and we've got to keep up with the mm. new information that's coming out. And the exact same thing is mirrored in the in the carbs, Look, in I, the nutrition sphere. I, I've just done human biology at ANU, first semester, first year, and I can tell you what I was taught was wrong mm. because I went to a conference in Zurich just uh, about a month ago and <laughs> everybody said, we've known for oh, sorry, many, many years <laughs> that saturated yeah. fat does not cause cardiovascular mm, disease, mm. and yet that was asserted as an a priori fact that's right. in, uh, that's right. in my first year. So, so we're still being taught the wrong things. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's how it is. And so we've mm. always got to be prepared, I think, as as us as clinicians mm. and, and researchers to be able to say, okay, well, this is what we understand at this point in time, but I'm prepared to change my mind if the mm. evidence changes. Good on you. Yeah. Um, and that, that whole cognitive dissonance thing that we see. In, and that doesn't just happen in nutrition. I know we mm. sort of, you know, we talk about that a lot in our sphere, mm. but it, it happens in all, all areas of, it happens in neuroscience as yeah. well. So, you know, we have to be prepared to move with the evidence as the evidence changes and be able to try and adapt that to clinical clinical practice. Yeah. And we do the same thing in, in nutrition. We need to look at how things are changing and adapt that to mm-hmm. clinical clinical practice. And are you actually utilising nutrition now in your clinical practice? Yeah, so we run, um, we've got a program called the STEP program, which is just Solutions, Tools and Education for Persistent Pain mm-hmm. <laughs> that I run with um, my colleague. And um, 
I guess it is more predominantly around physio mm-hmm. and psych stuff for pain management, but there is also a chapter in there and looking at, at nutrition and sleep and all of those other sorts of lifestyle things as well. And so I guess the, the basic information that we're giving to somebody that's coming through that program is, well, let's just eat real food. Let's pull the sugary crap out of your diet mm-hmm. and all the processed foods and let's, you know, fill it full of all those nice all nutrients. The fake oils. Yeah. All the, yeah, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, that's where we sort of, I guess, leave the majority of people unless they're interested in, t- mm. in taking a d- bit of a deeper dive and in which case then we talk a bit about keto diets and, and potentially look at somebody like Jess who you've Find already met. a nutritionist. Yeah, yeah. yeah so or, look, or dietitian. Yeah, yeah. so um, then funnel them into somebody that knows about how to um, appropriately apply a, a ketogenic diet for somebody in that situation. And it needs to be um, not only a keto diet, but what, you know, we're calling it a, you know, a um, an appropriate one so that it's including, you know, it's a nutrient-dense mm. one because that's one of the issues with sure. with this whole chronic pain story as well. We were talking before about redox control and, and mm. oxidative stress. We need to have the right sort of yeah. antioxidants in the right amount, not just, you know, blanket, let's throw antioxidants at this thing and hope yeah. that it will fix the problem, but an appropriate diet that, that addresses yeah. that person's needs. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's the thing about antioxidants. You know, in there are some contexts you do, do not want antioxidants mm. and there's some contexts that you do want oxidation. And, oh, it's, and it's a normal part of the pro- – yeah. and oxidation is a normal part of that, um, you know, feedback loop to keep things in homeostatic range. Yeah, and so true. if you get rid of that ability of the body to do that, then you mm. can create <laughs> create problems as well. Ox- so, yeah, yeah we, we yeah. tend to think, oh, you know, oxidant, oxidation, bad, bad, terrible, mm. you know, throw, yeah, yeah. You know, we've got to have all these antioxidants. But no, no, we have to have cancer. a balance. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we yeah. kill tumours is through mm. oxidation. So, you know, antioxidants and if you have cancer, antioxidants are not a good thing. Not your friend, no. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, there's, there's, there's nuances to all of this stuff and it's mm. about being able to, yeah, be apl- applying it appropriately, not just mm. hearing something and blanket, you know, <laughs> throwing things at people. Yeah. yeah. I'm fascinated to see where, you, where, where your research goes combining these two silos. I think that's, yeah. uh, that is outstanding. I'm hoping we get some good stuff. Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for sitting down with us. My pleasure. Heard you say you're due for a little. Wow, that was that was amazing. Um, you mm. know, we know that reducing sugar and starch in your diet, replacing it with healthy fat, which is essentially what keto does, is great for reducing inflammation. Yeah. But all that extra benefit that you get, you know, that we just keep hearing more and more and more. Mm. One of the interesting things uh, that happened to me this week was I was listening to Peter Attia's new podcast, Drive, mm-hmm. and he uh, did a test called the Nothing Burger where he, he ate keto for a week and then fasted for a week and then had keto for another week. Uh, and they called yeah. that the Nothing Burger. And he noticed something interesting about that experience. Now, I, I've got some issues with how he did what he did because a one-week transition from uh, a regular diet to ketogenic diet is not, is inadequate. So what he really did was a, a three-week ketogenic um, induction with one week of hell <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in right. the middle of it. But, you know, uh, one thing about it he noticed was that he went into this diet with quite severe chronic wrist pain and elbow pain. And he noticed when he came out of the diet that that had all gone away. And Rowena explains how that works, yep. um, which is something that Peter couldn't explain on, the, on his podcast. But essentially what she says is that, you know, Chronic pain ha- serves no p- purpose once there's no longer tissue damage. Right. And it's a little, it's a little bit like a, a two-year-old. A two-year-old will hurt themselves and then start crying. 
Yeah. And they'll keep crying. And then eventually they're only crying because they're still crying. Right. <laughs> and if you can distract them for five seconds, like, you know, give uh, them a, get, you know, a rattle in their face or whatever, <laughs> you break the cycle. And this is a little bit give like some what bacon. happens with chronic pain. <laughs> well, that too. Um, or a little bit, a little bit of scotch on a finger. But, you know, <laughs> the, uh, that's the royal treatment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's interesting that you should talk about wrist pain because before I was keto for years, you know, I'm a guitar player, I play in a band, mm. I would get yeah. these wrist cramps, actually finger cramps, but wrist and finger cool. cramps while I'm playing, mm. usually around the end of the night. And, you know, when you're playing mm. on, in a band, it's usually hot and you're usually sweating and you're not hydrated enough. And uh, I would have this finger cramp sometimes like right before the last song and and i really can't continue my finger would, mm. would bend down in half and stop there and i couldn't i would have to relax to get it back and and sometimes i could get it back sometimes i couldn't oh wow after i went keto that never happened and mm. it never wow. happened again and mm. you know not only just the aches and pains of you know waking up in the morning and you can barely move your legs and all that stuff that went away but mm. you know just general cramping, general um, pain, that kind of thing just completely went away. And I found that fasting before a gig was even better. Like, you know, if I fasted for a day or two and then played a gig, not only did I have no cramps, but I could sing higher, I had more power, I had more energy. Uh, and as yeah. long as I'm drinking water and having some salt, it's just mm. magic. So, yeah, wow. great interview. Yeah. And that brings us to the peckish, puckish, foodie section we call... Recipes! What you got, Cal? <laughs> well, what I got is a faux potato salad that I served at my last Keto Mini Fest. Mm. So it's a potato salad made with cauliflower. Right. Oh, didn't think you were going to have potatoes in it, but no, sure enough, that's everyone's going to complain about this <laughs> yeah. recipe when we publish it. Yeah, that's right. There's no potatoes I can't believe you're doing potato salad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen to the podcast, people. <laughs> uh, I've, by the way, I saw a great picture on Facebook, and this is a right in line with what you're saying what happened, <laughs> is there's this woman who's breastfeeding in public, okay? Mm -hmm. And um, the guy says, you know, I got to say it, this is an abomination. It's a disgrace. You know, the, 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 the dirtiness of this. Do you have to do that, lady, and, and all that? And then at the end, he says, take your dirty flip-flops off the table. And you look <laughs> at the picture, and she's got <laughs> flip-flops on the table. And you wouldn't believe how many people were like, Get on him about, you know, <laughs> this is perfect, perfectly natural. You know, I can't believe yeah. what are you doing? And he's like, um, you're not paying attention, are you? Yeah. And then they yeah, read, still, to the, read to the end of the article. <laughs> but it was too late. They still started commenting. It was awesome. <laughs> All right. So faux potato salad. So we're going <laughs> to use a, a bag of pre-crumbled cauliflower, about four cups or 14 ounces. And mm -hmm. we're going to need a tablespoon of olive oil, some uh, good quality mayonnaise, about a half a cup, uh, about two tablespoons of mustard, about a third of a cup of dill relish. Okay. Do you have dill relish in Australia? Is that what you call it? No. We have uh, like dill pickles. Right. Is that what you mean? Like, so it's a dill pickle chopped up? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a mince of dill pickles. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Yep. And if you want some onion, you can put a little chopped up onion on the side so that people that don't want it. And there are people in my house that don't eat onions, and I don't eat too many of them because they're kind of sweet. Um, a third of a cup of diced celery. And you want three mm-hmm. hard-boiled eggs plus another one, so four hard-boiled eggs. The, the, the extra one is going to be sliced for topping. Now you want some vinegar, about a teaspoon and a half of apple cider mm-hmm. vinegar, white wine vinegar. I use champagne vinegar, which was pretty good, but you could use any of those. Nice. And you want some paprika for the topping and salt and pepper to taste. So, so you know, you can figure out what this is just from the ingredients, right? You're going to roast the, the cauliflower like we do. We All good vegetables are roasted, right? Yeah. So you preheat the oven to 375 Fahrenheit. Yeah, it's about 180 Celsius. And you rub a large baking sheet with olive oil, and in a bowl, you toss the cauliflower with some olive oil and salt and pepper. You spread it onto the baking sheet in a single layer. You want to bake it for about 25 or 30 minutes, and halfway through, you want to flip it so it browns on both sides, just until the tops are starting to turn golden. Now, this cauliflower, it's not a bag of cauliflower rice, is it? Because I know we can get that here commonly in Australia. Yeah, it's Um, a little coarser than that. It's just sort of- So it's just a florette. Yeah, chopped cauliflower. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you don't want to use them or you can't find them, you just chop up cauliflower and get four cups yeah. of the consistency yep. that you want. It, it's no big deal. It'll actually be a better product if, you, if you're chopping up fresh cauliflower. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. So while the cauliflower is baking, you boil your eggs. Yep. So here's a tip for eggs. So you mm. put the eggs in a pan of cold water, four eggs in a saucepan, right. fill it with cold water, set it over high heat, and bring it to a rolling boil. When it Mm -hmm. comes to a full rolling boil, you turn off the heat and cover the pan. Okay. And you set the timer for six minutes. (laughs) Now, if you want them hard-boiled, ten minutes. If you want them really Mm -hmm. runny, three minutes. But six minutes is like perfect. That's the Goldilocks zone. Yep. That is the Goldilocks zone. So you remove the cooked eggs from the pan with a slotted spoon, and you tap Mm -hmm. each one gently on the countertop to crack the shell in a few places. And that that helps the cold water that you're going to put it in sort of permeate. So you place the eggs in a bowl of ice water, and that's Mm -hmm. really important because it's going to stop the cooking process. So you leave them in there for at least a minute, maybe two minutes. And then when they're done cooling off, you peel them and... You put all this stuff together in a bowl. So you're combining the remaining ingredients, but just three of the eggs, and you chop up the eggs, essentially, put them mm-hmm. in there with the cauliflower and all of that stuff, the mayo and salt and pepper and all of that. And that's your potato salad, salt and pepper to taste. And then you take the last egg and you slice it in thin slices and lay that over the top in your serving bowl and then sprinkle mm-hmm. it with paprika. Put it in the nice. fridge. And chill it until you're ready to serve it. And believe it or not, it tastes just like potato salad because potato salad is all about the stuff that is in the potatoes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> potatoes <laughs> are just a carrier for flavor, really, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. It's more like a cauliflower egg salad, but fine. Whatever. Yeah. Nice. That's, that's what I got today. What do you got? So I've got a recipe that somebody sent me on Facebook, and this is from Lisa Nico. And uh, Lisa's actually a, a mature age uh, student. She's uh, just like me. She's uh, she's in her 40s, and she's gone back to university to do medical science. And she's a semester behind where I'm at. Ah. It's quite a lot of fun. Anyway, Lisa says she was looking for sodium citrate the other day because she wanted to try the recipe that Carl and I do all the time, which is we get melted cheese, mm. we add sodium citrate and water, and we whisk it up, and it turns into a 
delicious cheesy sauce. Yeah. And she, so I sent her a link to a place called the Melbourne Ingredient Depot, which is a place in Australia that has all these kinds of things. Mm. And um, anyway, she tried it with the cheese and it worked really well. And then she started experimenting and she sent me this idea. She says, sodium citrate also works for emulsifying duck fat and cream. Huh. I thought it was just for cheese. Wow. She says, I thought I'd give it a crack and it really worked. I did notice that the little bit left in the pan hardened up a little and recrystallized, so I recommend serving it immediately. Um, mm. But she says, here's, here's the recipe. So she starts with the duck breast. She puts it in an air fryer for about 22 minutes on 180, and she she swears by air fryers for cooking. It's really convection baking. It is. It is, really. Yeah. But 22 minutes on 180, which, as we know, is uh, 375 Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. And uh, she then pours off all of the rendered fat in a pan with about a small tablespoon of masala, which is, you know, it's a cooking one. Mm -hmm. And she adds about 150 mils of cream. Mm. And then she took one tablespoon of the mix out and mixed in half a teaspoon of sodium citrate, then returned that mix to the pan, and she whisked it until it was done. Wow. And while that was sourcing, so that while that was developing, she put kalets in the air fryer and drizzled them with duck fat and cooked mm. those for about 8 to 10 minutes on 180 degrees, which was 375 Fahrenheit. Yeah. And that's a meal. So, you know, that's a meal in about half an hour. Oh. It's duck fat in a creamy duck fat sauce with kalettes. I mean, this is a hard life yeah. that we live. I know. <laughs> really it's terrible, is it? isn't it? <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible. Yeah. What a great show. Yeah, so that's my recipe. Wow, that's awesome. I'm going to experiment now with different fats and creams and uh, yeah. sodium citrate. You're going to mm. expect some new recipes from the Kralmeister. <laughs> <laughs> what a great show. Of course, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we've said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at 2ketodudes.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at 2ketodudes. Make sure to use the hashtag 2ketodudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And you can have a look around the ketogenic forum without needing to create an account by starting with success.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, like t-shirts, coffee mugs, and all that other junk, head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you want a shot at getting some of that swag for free, join the 2Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce including Two Keto Dudes, Keto Woman with Daisy Brackenhall, the Obesity Code podcast with Jason Fung and Megan Ramos, and now Keto Families and Keto Kids. Yeah. Think about making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. You can also see all of our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Keep calm, keto on, and fast when you can, especially down under. <laughs> you keep calm, keto on, and uh, yeah, keto fast down under whenever you can. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, we'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. <laughs>